What's up? This is Nick and Purjeet. And this is On Soccer. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the On Soccer Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest who was instrumental in uh, the uh, conference that we held with uh, the Collegiate Soccer Society this past November. Someone who's worked in soccer media for a very long time, probably knows all your favorite American players, and uh, yeah, someone who just is very good at what he does. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Shaw Brown. How are you doing today, Shaw? Good. Thanks for having me. Go Blue. All those (laughs) good. Very good. Yeah, just to start off... uh, you went to Michigan. Uh, me and Prajit are both students at Michigan. How did you, what was like your first steps out of college? You know, there's a lot of yeah. young college kids that listen to this. So, yeah, I mean, look, I wanted to play professional soccer, but wasn't good enough. Um, but I knew I wanted to be around sports. I love sports. I have the ability to like, you know, if I've read something in sports, it's there. Um, it always stays with me. So, um, yeah, 93, yeah, I'm old, 93, uh, there was some soccer games coming around the United States leading up to the Men's World Cup in 94, um, and I got to work on uh, uh, the game that was in the Silverdome, uh, England's Germany, um, and like, I was already hooked, I'd already done something with Bernie Smilovitz the summer before, I think Bernie's still there, right, or well, back there, and, uh, Channel 4, Channel 4? Maybe I think he's the sports uh, anchor for okay. W. Um, and so I, I'd had a summer internship with them. And then I was with Don Shane, who was the ABC guy the year after. Um, and then uh, leading up to 94 World Cup, I got a huge break and I got to go work on the World Cup for ABC Sports in New York City for the summer. Um, uh, about a weekend, they went to put up a graphic and it was wrong. Um, <laughs> and as a as a 20 year old, I was like, I should tell them. So I did, uh, they fought me and then looked it up and realized I was right. And then, um, Jim McKay, who was the host, who's this ledge, ledge legend of, uh, television was like, I'd like him to be with me for research purposes, the, the rest of the world cup. And wow. they took me to the world cup final. I mean, that <laughs> was it, right? They offered me, um, some soccer stuff out of college, ABC, um, and I've done, look, I've done curling in the Olympics. I've done college hoops and college football. I've done hockey. And I mean, I've done loads and loads of sports, but I mean, I wanted to do soccer whenever I could and I was able to stick with it. And I'm lucky enough that now it's all I do. <laughs> For sure. And then, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, cause I'm curious in 1994, right? Like that's the U S world cup, obviously like, you know, the first time really like that major exposure of soccer to this country. So you know, what was it like being sort of one of the first people to hop on the soccer media world to like be really focused on that? And especially yeah. in 94 with the American World Cup. I mean, I would say that I was the only one that wanted to work on it. I think people wanted to work on a big event, but I wanted to work on it because it was soccer. Um, and look, England hadn't qualified. Scotland hadn't qualified. Um, and those are the two teams I'd grown up rooting for. Um, so like that kind of stunk for me. But like, you know. A lot of it was, uh, it was my first World Cup that I'd actually been to, but just seeing the atmosphere. I mean, don't forget every single stadium was sold out. Yeah. Like Belgium, Saudi Arabia, sold out. 
right? It wasn't just Island Italy that was sold out. There's 90,000 people at every single game and they were, they were huge soccer fans. Um, so um, it was great. I mean, the, people uh, got into it and Americans love big events, right? Like they do uh, and they want to root. And the U.S. men's team gave them something to root for. They got, they got out of the first round. Uh, they didn't get a shot on Brazil, but they played Brazil tough that day. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it's a world cup. It's a, yeah. these amazing things, right? Like you get these ridiculous games and ridiculous goals and you got Romario scoring at will and Bebeto, whose wife had just had a baby. And so every time he scored, he was doing this and, uh, you know, you got Baggio, who's this superhero that misses the penalty kick. People forget that, you know, Baresi missed one a few minutes before that. So like, um, but it was amazing. I, I mean, you know, I would tell you that the people who worked on that World Cup were all first-class production people that, that cared as if it was the Super Bowl, regardless wow. of whether they knew the sport. Yeah, and so it, it sounds like you've gotten to kind of see the U.S. like men's team from the beginning, right? So, I mean, yeah. So, like, when was – when did you see, like, the biggest jump in yeah. fan appeal from World Cups or, or whatever? Yeah, I, I look, I think – you know, we need to qualify that as the modern era, right? Like 90, they played in a World Cup. Uh, I watched that on, I remember taking the SATs and then racing Romania, <laughs> Russia at the 90 World Cup, right? And everyone's like, what are you talking about, right? Like they didn't even know what I was talking about. So um, I would say the game that I remember things changing was the US-Mexico in 01 in Columbus. Okay. Uh, the, you know, it was like 28 degrees, um, Mexico's always the favorite everywhere they go in this, in this region. And the U.S. beat them 2-0. Um, Reina got injured, had to come off. McBride got injured, had to come off. On comes Clint Mathis and Josh Wolf. Place was sold out. Um, mostly um, American-born people in the stands. Uh, it felt like a pro-American crowd. Um, and... Yeah, I remember like they, they played Brazil two days later in a friendly, the US. Wow. And they lost either two or three one. Kaka was, I mean, Brazil brought everybody, right? Like, mm -hmm. but, and, but um, that was the day I thought, wow, like my, the TV truck was shaking that day uh, wow. from the noise when, when the ball went in, right? When they scored the first goal. So that was the first time I noticed it, but it was the 02 World Cup that um, I think people, even though it was in the middle of the night, started to like pay attention because. Um, I was in Japan working for FIFA, but uh, my, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, called me and said, I'm in Chicago for an interview and I'm working out. And the guy came up to me and said, hey, the U.S. is playing Germany. Can I switch the TV on? I'd like to watch it. And that was when I first got a feel of like, oh, wow, people care right today. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. And then look, I mean, I know we missed the last World Cup, but let's not forget how good that 2010 team was. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're inches away from beating Ghana, like, you know, and even 2014, I mean. Out of the group of death that year, right? Yeah. Was that? Out of the group of death that year, right? With like Portugal. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so, you know, uh, so I think people need to remember that it, it's been a long time coming and the 26 World Cup is going to be epic. Yeah, absolutely. 90,000 people stadiums filled easily everywhere. Uh, wow got you so you know along that note so you you know like like nick was saying since you've been a part of u.s soccer for so long since it's been such a integral moment of your like or part of your life uh so a, a couple of questions i guess first what was the 
best sort of like you know either occasion game or like goal like your favorite memory for relating to u.s soccer and second what's your favorite segment that you've been a part of either producing or something like that for uh, u.s soccer all right um the favorite i have two favorite moments uh the first one's obvious the one the second one will be obvious too um first one is landon donovan uh, against Algeria. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was in the tape room. We were, uh, you know, all starting to be upset. Um, and then this ridiculous moment happens. Um, uh, and, and ITV was in the rooms next to us and we heard them cheer. And, and that was kind of cool. Right. And like, I mean, I'm like jumping into my tape guys arms and I was like, Oh my God, we're on the air in like one minute. <laughs> so we got to hurry up. Right. And get life sorted out. So obviously that was ridiculous. The other moment is a year later with Abby Wambach oh, yeah. uh, against Brazil and Megan Rapinoe's cross. And, um, and, and that one actually is a bigger moment to me. Right. It was in a, it was in a knockout game. They were down to 10 men, 10 women, excuse me. Um, they were, um, I mean, they should have that they batted Japan in the World Cup final too. Like they were the best team, um, and like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and they still figured out a way to win, which is what the U.S. women's team does. And let's not forget that Ian Dark got to call both of those, right? Like wow. what a cool, like you know, go go USA! And yeah. uh, I can't believe it. Like you know, I mean, it's just so um, segments. Wow. Uh, so look, I mean. That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've been part of so many. I, I've done almost 200 men game, men's games and almost 300 women's games, whether it's – I've done everything from being a runner and graphics to AD to, to producing. Um, I would say those two moments were ridiculous, obviously. Um, I did – I've done a World Cup qualifier I worked on in Cuba. That was – you know, I mean, you don't get to do that stuff too often, those kind of things. I've, I've, I've done soccer in 50 countries. So like, I don't know if I have a favorite, uh, those two moments stick out always uh, something favorite that I've done over all any of those. I mean, when you do tournaments like that, it doesn't matter whether you produce like everyone has to have awesome days to have awesome days, not just on the pitch, but us in, in our trucks and everything to make sure that those things happen. Well, um, I would say the US England men's game was awkward for me as a, in 2010 because I, I you know I spent the first part of my life in England um, and one of the guys I traveled probably 20 years with um, when the when the US ties it turns to me and goes you lie me and I was like wait I've been traveling with the US team and you for like 15 years and he's like oh yeah sorry like <laughs> uh, um, so but uh, honestly I uh, honored uh to be able to have worked with the u.s team for as long as i have um and and both men's and women's um yeah i mean every time i get to do it it's to me it's awesome like it's an honor so like there is no there are bigger moments the game's goals uh i got to do abby wambach's record breaker when she broke mayor ham's record um i spent hours with the crew discussing how we're going to handle it correctly and we nailed it so that was cool but like you know, I did Mallory Pugh's first goal. Like, you know, it's just, I did Mia Hamm's bre breaking of, of Carolina Marachi. So there you go. Now I'm just aging myself even longer. But I've been lucky enough that like I got Clint, I got, I did Clint Dempsey's equalizer of Landon Donovan's goal. I did Landon Donovan's goal beating, you know, Eric Ronaldo. So yeah, I've lived a very charmed U.S. soccer life. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I think like one of the coolest things about what you do is you get to, you know, work up and close with with a lot of former players. And um, who who I'm curious, who was like one of the easiest or one of the players to catch on the easiest to broadcasting in, in your opinion? And and who do you yeah. think uh, as a player who's playing now may have yeah. a future? Um. Look, I'm really biased, right? Like I've been lucky enough to work with Tim and to, to, with Stu and Demarcus now and Mo. Um, and God, I think I dragged all four of them into television. Um, <laughs> now I feel bad about that. I mean, look, uh, Stu was always interested. When I come into the Houston locker room to shoot something, he'd ask questions. Um, uh, we are blessed that both the men's and women's teams are a good bunch of guys and girls. Sorry, guys, men and women. Um, I should say, uh, they're fun. Um, they are trusting of us as a group, or at least I should say of me and the people I've worked with. Um, they have real conversations. Uh, I think we are lucky enough that these players are guiding lights in what goes on in this world. They have voices, they use them. Um, they uh, have opinions and, and we'll have, we'll talk about important topics that are going on in the world, not just in sport. Um, and Stu and Tim and Mo and DeMarcus have all like taken that. I mean, Stu, because of how he's built, like he was, um, I think Stu probably picked it up the quickest, but Tim was amazing. Mo's been great. I mean, uh, they've all been really, really good. And then like, look, I work with people in MLS and to talk to them. I mean, everybody's uh, got, we can all be better all the time, me included. Every time I do a show, there's something I could have done better. Uh, those are the things that stay with you. Um, uh, I was always impressed with how quickly um, Tim was able to call a game because he would play on Saturday and then Sunday was calling it for NBC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all talk about, hey, I've been coached my whole life. Like, I want to be coached now that I'm doing TV too. Like, don't think I don't want feedback. Carl Martino too was great, like picked it up quickly. Um, Taylor Twelman too, right? They've all done it, but that's credit to them. They work hard, they watch, they study, uh, they pick things they do and don't like of other people and try to add it to their stuff. So um, it would be hard for me to, to say like uh, who picked it up the easiest or was the best at it, but I've worked with Stu the most over the last seven, eight years and watching his progression has been pretty impressive. Got you. And then I'm curious to know how you got started in that. So, cause like, you know, we always, you know, you have a very, established media career but like have you always had a good relationship with players like did they reach yeah. out specifically or how did that work out yeah so because I, i'm like i played a lot um and but i also like stats stay with me and like watching games stays with me i can describe goals now from something from 20 years ago still um i've always been able to just have conversations right with uh, with soccer players about stuff um uh, also in general, I'm good about your private life, your private life. Like you can trust me. You tell me something. I'm not a newsbreaker. It's not who I'm, I am. Like, I don't care. Um, so I've had, you know, players tell me about retirement a month before they announce it because I got to get prepared to do something. It just, it's just not how I'm built. So, uh, but you have to earn that trust. Right. And, and you've got to, then after you earn it, you can't screw it up. Right. So, uh, but I'm lucky enough to be able to have real conversations about soccer. I lived outside this country. So when you start talking to some of these guys that live in England or France, or like I'm able to understand that I've worked enough outside the country. 
Um, and then my boss likes to say I have a superpower about keeping in touch with people. Like that's one of my superpowers. And so, you know, I, I it's not that hard to drop a note and say, hey, I know you're in Belgium and just want to check on you. I know you're there by yourself, right? Those kind of things. I mean, it means something. And so, you know, uh, Jordan Morris signed today with Swansea and yeah. I just reached out to the Swansea press officer and said, hey, I don't know what the next week looks like, but we'd love to have him if you can get him for me. And, you know, I mean, last time I talked to the Swansea press officer was before the 2018 World Cup. They got us Fabianski. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I shared everything with them. They got to use it. Relationships are everything when it comes to this stuff. I, I'm not a better producer because of my relationships with these people. The, that's a different part. I, I work at that. I watch back. I do that. But knowing that um, people trust me and if I call them and say, hey, I'd like you on my show, they know that I'm not going to, for lack of a better term, stitch you up then it's important that they know that and that uh, we're going to do a professional show. And I would tell you that if you give me an unlimited budget, like they have on a Premier League game, and I got to use all my top people, it would look like a Premier League game in America. Mm -hmm. They don't do TV better than us. They're not, sorry, they're not better at TV than us. They just have the best people. That's all they do is soccer, right? Uh, gotcha. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned like the Jordan Morris thing, I'm curious, like, is your day to is your day to day work different every day? I'm guessing, yeah. like depending on the news. So, what would be like a typical a typical day for you? Yeah, I'm gonna look at my my WhatsApps. Right, I've <laughs> talked to Lazio, I've talked to Swansea, I've talked to a couple of agents, I've talked to Fabrizio Romano, I've talked to someone who works with Rafa Benitez, and I'm dropping a lot of names here, which I don't. <laughs> uh, and I've talked to a bunch of Champions League clubs because we're a couple of weeks out, and I'm trying to get some stuff done before that I need a couple of weeks to edit stuff. Right. So, um, uh, and so I'm trying to talk to get stuff sorted. And then look, every week I want an American player on, I don't care where they are. I've talked to you soccer today too. Um, but like we do a half hour show. Normally it's on a Monday, but during January, it's been on Tuesdays next week. It'll be on Wednesday at one o'clock on CBS HQ. Uh, but like, it's important to the U S players are everywhere. And it's like, there aren't a ton of soccer shows on uh, ESPN FC does one, obviously, but um, it's like, it, I, it's my goal to make sure that everyone knows who the American players are all around the world. There, there are people that write about them all the time, but there needs to be some conversation about it too. And so, uh, so my day to day is different daily. We talked to Christian Fuchs. We interviewed him yesterday. Um, oh. Wife's American wife lives in Harlem with the family. He's still playing in England. Uh, brilliant guy like got a huge plan, long-term plan in life. Um, and he's, you know, he understands what his last name sounds like. And he started a brand called New, No Fuchs Given. Um, <laughs> and it's brilliant, right? He's trying to, and so, um, yeah. So if I got an interview, it's different. I've done interviews at three in the morning. It's mm -hmm. like, I remember talking to uh, Duvan Zapata uh, before the World Cup and they were like, okay, we'll do it at nine. And I was like, wait, 9 a.m. your time or my time? <laughs> and they're like, our time, why? And I was like, oh, it's 2 a.m. Oh, no. And I was like, okay. So I rolled out of bed at like 2.45. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have an interview. He's got up at like 3.45, right? Like, I'm like, oh, you cost me 45 minutes of sleep. Um, but yeah, honestly, like, this is life. This is what you do, right? You got to be flexible. But Borussia Dortmund's amazing to us. But hey, it's 7 a.m. on a Sunday. Okay. 7 a.m. on a Sunday, it is, right? So, so yeah, you know. Got you. 
And then, you know, I, I'm curious. So it's for the U.S. players and stuff like that, is the guy that you reach out to that mostly Neil Beathy? I know he's no. communications there. Oh, okay. I mean, I talk to Michael Cameron most of the time, who's oh, the cool, actual cool. press officer with the men's team. I talk to Aaron Heifetz on the women's side, both uh, spectacular humans. I mean, Neil's phenomenal, but he just sent me to them anyway. Um, but it depends. Like Michael and Aaron are great sounding boards. They'll help me try to get an interview. Sometimes they'll send me to an agent, depending on where they are. They might say you need to go to that club. Uh, all the Champions League players, I try to go to the clubs or the agent and try to leave U.S. soccer out of it. It's just if they're in camp, it's a different story. But if they're not, it just depends on the player. But often I found that Michael or Aaron would put in a call to say, hey, like it's a good guy. Like if you can do this, you should do it kind of a thing. Gotcha. Um, and I've earned their respect and vice versa, the things they've done to help um, unsung heroes. That's for sure. The things they do. Mm-hmm. And, and now we kind of see like, you know, a generation of U.S. soccer players retiring. Uh, do you see any of those yeah. potentially wanting to do media that? Yeah, you didn't let me avoid that question, did you? <laughs> um, um, so here's what I would say. Um, I've not heard from any of them. Um, I mean, I've heard from not when I say that I, I haven't heard from any U.S. national teamers that are slowly retiring. I also think that um, if I had like it's their business and when they're ready, like, you know, uh, it, it, it's to me, that's a different conversation, right? Like, I don't want to be the person saying, yeah, this guy wants to get into television. Yeah. So I've talked to a couple of people cursory about stuff. Uh, nobody is uh, two feet in yet. But I also think that they haven't actually all, they might not be on the national team, but they're still playing a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, Michael Hood is someone that I've been working with, um, not a U.S. national team player, but someone who's just kind of retired out of MLS. Um, uh, but I think often the guys need a year to kind of, you know, figure out, do I really want to, because honestly, this is a lot of work. Yeah. If you want to be good at this, Stu, Tim, all the good ones, Taylor, they'll all tell you, man, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of watching games, watching my game back so I can get better, but then watching games of the two teams that are coming that I'm about to announce. I mean, and so I always say to them, before you do this, make sure you want to do this. Because if you're going to want to be good, then I'll work with you. But if you're going to be like, eh, I'm not the right guy for you. And just as a follow-up, for them to kind of practice commentating, do you have them watch like yeah. a pre-recorded match and then review yeah. what they say? Zoom has changed my life with all this stuff, right? Zoom has wow. been amazing. So we'll, do, we'll record a Zoom call. Um, I will run clips. Uh, we'll stop it. We'll discuss what was good, what wasn't. Um, and look, it's better once they've started doing some stuff too, because then I can stop their clips and say, you should have done it this way. Look, what I did, what I say and do, uh, I'm never going to tell you is it's a hundred percent, right. They might have a producer that says, I want you to talk all the time. I'm a firm believer of less is more, right? Like let, if there's fans in the stands now that we're missing fans, it's different. But like when there's fans in the stands, let them move the game along. You be part of the game as opposed to you are the game. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, we, I run games back. I watch games. I take notes. I get clips. Um, you know, I uh, uh, haven't done it yet, but I've discussed like, you know, letting someone who wants to be a host, bringing someone else on and they like almost as if they're hosting a show and they're throwing back to that person, that person's doing something. So we'll try it out at some stage. Sharing screens are wonderful things. And then, you know, so we've gotten into a lot of the process of, you know, what your job entails, what exactly you have to do to get players, stuff like that. So I'm wondering in a more holistic sense. So we're entering what will hopefully be a golden generation for U.S. soccer this decade with 2022, 2026. Um, I'm wondering in this modern age, what are the biggest challenges in the soccer media 
industry? And what specifically do you think companies like CBS Interactive need to do to establish soccer in the U.S. to its most optimized point? Well, I would say that there's more soccer games on in the United States than anyone else in the whole world. Okay. Like, honestly, it's not even close, right? If you want to watch you, Women's Champions League, you can. You want to watch NWSL, you can. You want to watch Argentine, Argentina League or Brazilian League or Colombian League. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, you could probably watch soccer 24-7 depending on what you want to pay for. Um, you can't do that in the rest of the world. There are even Premier League games that aren't on in England. Wow. <laughs> right. Not many, but there are a few that pop up. Right. So um, I don't think we have that issue. Okay. Right. I actually think the fan in America is really well educated. I think that we've gone past the point of educating and now we're having real conversations of breaking a game down. Um, um, so from that point of view, yeah, like I, I don't think there's anything to do uh, from that. It's just going to it just keep growing. That's all right. CBS, ESPN. I mean, rights change hands and it's good and it's not right. It's good because you want lots of people involved to push everyone to be better and maybe. But it's not because you're like, oh, my God, I got to buy another streaming service or 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 will they handle it correctly? Do they? Because we still, I think, in general, need more really competent soccer television people when it comes to that stuff um to answer the golden generation part i think 26 is where we should be looking i think 22 they will be good but everyone i mean 95 percent of these guys will will enter their prime for the 26 but i, I want to remind everybody and i said this a lot eight teams have won a world cup yeah. yeah it's impossible to win a world cup so I, I remember having a conversation with Landon and Landon's like, this was in 01. And he said, well, why, why can't we win a World Cup? And I thought, you know, I'm 27 at the time. I was like, yeah, why can't we? And now I've seen it and, and I understand it, right? It, it's hard. I mean, all these great Spanish teams that never won it until 2010. Um, you know, golden generations of Portugal, England. I mean, they didn't win anything. So, and it's hard. It's hard to go to a different hemisphere and win. It's hard to go to a different continent and win. Um, so the U.S. will be very good. I think that people are like, oh, I think we could win it by 26. Need to understand that the argument should be we should be a very good team by 26 and fun. And, and it should be um, a team that will be easy to root for. It's going to be a melting pot, that team. You're going to look at that team and go, wow, someone like me looks on that team. And so that's what's going to be amazing. And if you watch this team now, it's, it's breathtaking, the different kind of people that are on these teams, men's and women's, as the women's is getting more and more too, right? As you see Dennis Rodman's daughter and, um, and Pinto, uh, Brianna Pinto on there, and you think to yourself, my God, look at these people. I mean, I worked with Brianna Pinto's mom at Major League Baseball on t in TV, right? Like, so um, it's cool to see the, the, what's going on um, and the players around the world that can play for lots of countries that are choosing to play for the U.S., which, to be fair, has 99% of the time happens all the time anyway. If they come train with the U.S., they come play with the U.S. It's just the vibe's always been great around camp. Uh, the players are really inviting. Um, I'd like to think they're part of them in general American culture. So your new guy shows up and they're like, okay, he's yeah. good. Awesome. Just, come play. We'll go, we're going to bowl a ball about and kick it about. Let's go. So, yeah. And, and by 2026, I, th I think a lot of people that listen to our podcast are going to be out of college. And some of them, I think, want to work in soccer. 
is there any advice that you have for young kids that want to go into something? Yeah. That's yeah. Here's what I would say. Um, it's, it's hard. Like being in, in soccer is hard, right? Cause it's still not NFL. It's still not baseball or even basketball or hockey. Um, it's rewarding. I mean, I love it. My wife likes to say I'm a kid in the candy store when I go to work. Cause it's true. All right. I mean, I'm going to go do soccer stuff. Um, uh, if you love the sport of soccer, find something right, right. There's going to be at least 30 teams in MLS by then. I mean, there's going to be 30 teams in MLS in the next couple of years. Um, there's going to be a world cup committee. Um, there's going to be, uh, um, loads of companies coming to do stuff around soccer uh, after the 22 world cup, right? Because there's not going to be a bigger world cup until they come back again. So, um, my, my advice would be, you know, work really hard, find people, be good at contacting people, be good at, um, be willing to be a runner or work really hard or do jobs that you're miserable at, but understand how rewarding it could be. Um, and you know, I mean, work, don't be afraid to work, right? Like I, well, red eye at home just so I can go do another job. But more importantly, I read eye at home so I can go see my family. The most important thing I do is get home. But I, when I'm on the road, it is work, right? I love what I do. And I'll have dinner with the guys and the, the announcers might go out for a drink and I go back and I study for the next day. Um, and so uh, it will take, it'll be a hard process, um, but it's amazing. And look, I have done 13 men's and women's world cups. Uh, I have been to 12 of those. Um, and I would say to you that, it, you know, if you love the sport of soccer, there are, there are roles and there will be a lot of roles. So yeah, I mean, pay attention. What LinkedIn is how Pajit and I got in touch with each other. Like, you know, be, be surfing all the time because you just don't know when something might pop up. And talk to the people you do know because they know people. For sure. Absolutely. No, definitely. Yeah, we, you know, we appreciate the advice. It's, you know, I'm sure like our audience will take a lot away from that. I know we did for sure. And, you know, we appreciate you making the time and all. But at the end of all of our podcasts, we do a little back four quiz, a little trivia oh. quiz where we ask you four questions that okay. might relate to your life. And, trivia? Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So, I'll ask the first question. So, which of the following celebrities did not attend the University of Michigan? Your options are Madonna, Michael Phelps, or Matt Miazga. Matt Miazga. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah he, he almost did. He almost was committed, or I think he was committed to play. I, that I didn't know. I mean, yeah, Madonna was there be before me, but not too much. And I know that Michael Phelps trained there and then ended up with classes. I didn't know about Miazga. Matt's a good guy. Yeah. Matt's a Jersey kid, though. So, <laughs> Like, don't mess with Matt Miaska. He's a great guy. I like Matt a lot. <laughs> awesome. All right. Next question um, about Marisa Du. What draft pick was Marisa Du in the MLS draft? There you yeah, go. Look yes, sir. Look at that draft. He's out of Maryland. Big <laughs> timer. Went to Toronto. <laughs> off to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Third one. We'll see if we can keep it going. How old was Mia Hamm when she made her first appearance for the USWNT? Oh, man. Christine Lilly, I think, was 15. I'm going to go with Mia Hamm was 17. 17, final answer? Yeah, that means no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Then it's 16. 16? 
right. You're so close, but the answer is 15, actually. It's 15. She was, huh? Oh, Mia's going to be. Now, Mia won't care, actually. (laughs) Wow. That's, uh, I didn't realize she was 15. Now, there you go. All right. All right. So I missed one. What's the last one? Do I get to make up the last one? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a CBS question. What year? Now you really stretch. (laughs) What year was CBS Interactive founded? Oh, <laughs> I, got, I got no prayer. Um, I mean, this is a total guess. I'm going to say 2010. 2010. We'll get, how about we'll do a, there's four options. We'll do multiple choice. We'll give you another shot. How okay. That? So ni- 1990, 91, 92, or oh. 93. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> huh. uh, I'm going to go with 91, which is the first year I went to Michigan. 90. Oh, one off yet again. It's just 92. Uh, uh, there you go. Wow. Not good. I thought I was going to get some soccer questions or Michigan, like fab five questions. I would have been fine. It means you're <laughs> totally all right. So, uh, oh, um, honestly, I, Pajita, I've told this to you in the past, but like, you know, if someone is in need of help or looking for stuff, I made a promise to um, some teachers while I was at Michigan that I would always help. Um, and I'd like to think, uh, that I have all those times. So like, don't be afraid to, you know, pass my contact info on, obviously have you reach out first, but like, I get it. I know how hard it is out there. Um, and I always promised Terry Saras that I would help. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, either of you have ever worked with Terry Saras, but uh-huh. you should track her down. She's amazing. She's still at Michigan. Um, but, uh, you know. Uh, I always go the extra mile for a University of Michigan grad, so I'm happy to help. For sure. Yeah, yeah. that means a lot. Thank yeah. you so much. We appreciate you taking the time, and it's always nice talking to a Michigan man, so thank you yeah. so much. Go Blue. Go yes, blue. sir. Go Blue. <laughs>